to say What's impossible they forgot This world keeps spinning with each new day Good day to everybody This is Theology in the Dirt We appreciate you guys listening to us We are at the worldwide headquarters of Global Impact International Restoration Rome And we're glad to come to you with Theology in the Dirt Where we make it our aim to put our theology into practice in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. And this morning we uh kicking it old school with little Jack Johnson and the Curious George soundtrack, which, by the way, Mr. Chris Hayes, is probably one of the most underrated soundtracks ever in the history of soundtracks. Some good stuff on there. There is. There is. I have to confess, when I, I pulled that up and started um, recording it, I had a little emotional moment. I'm in these emotional places with my kids starting to be gone and remembering when that movie came out and that soundtrack, we, we burned grooves in that CD back in the day. We listened to that thing constantly. And I was remembering them being little and I had a, my eyes got a little sweaty. So I was like, Oh, we're going to have to use that one today. Nice. Yeah. That was, he was at the height, like in college, we coming through, you had like Dave Matthews and John Mayer and Jack Johnson were kind of all, um, Mm. Yeah, really popular in like early two thousands and yeah, man, that that album's good. Yeah, I have I've heard it. I need to go back and listen to that. There were some good songs on that. There are they're they're solid. So we appreciate you guys listening to us, and I hope you enjoy our eclectic uh, music. I almost threw down a little Kentucky Headhunters this morning, but I think I'll save that for next week. And so we go from Jack Johnson to Kentucky Headhunters to all manner of fun things. And so we hope you guys appreciate the music choices and. Uh, it's not always Christian music, but it's good music. Yeah, that's yeah. all it's about. That's right. Absolutely. Again, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we are we are coming to you from Global Impact International Restoration Rome, and uh, we are not only recording a podcast about how we engage our world, um, but we are recording it in the middle of engaging our world. And so we'd love for you to go to restorationrome.org and check out how we are involved in that, but how you can also be involved in participating in alleviating the orphan crisis and the foster care crisis in our city and in our world. So we appreciate you guys listening. And also, if you have questions, things you would like for us to talk about on the podcast, you can send them to us at theologyofthedirt at gmail.com, and we'd be glad to get after it. We are in the middle, not in the middle, we're at the beginning, really of talking about emotional, healthy discipleship. And so we're going to continue that today. But before we do, we're going to make sure we jump into this. That's right, news time. Chris, what are some news headlines? So I went a little bit different route this this week, so don't be hating. Because um, there's just, I've just, <laughs> I got to the point this week, I was like, man, I'm just so tired of negative negativity. So I was like, you know what? College football season's coming this, this Saturday. It started last week, but Georgia didn't play, so it really starts this weekend. Um, <laughs> so, so last week kind of didn't count because Nebraska acting like a bunch of fools. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't right. know what's up there. Although they yeah. did, they ran out of Wi-Fi at that stadium in Ireland and gave everybody free beer. So <laughs> people were happy there. <laughs> yes, um, they were. So what I did was I was like, you know what? Because um, it's still the popular headline is the NIL deals. And for those of you who don't know at home or listening, 
NIL stands for name, image, and likeness. This is a rule that was passed a couple years ago where college athletes can now make money and they can make, they can profit off of the use of their name, their likeness, um, their image, their jersey sales. And a lot of these are getting deals. So what I did was kind of just highlighted some of the, the more interesting creative NIL, NIL deals. And that's kind of my news right. st- session for today. So, um, so <laughs> this one might be my favorite of all time, but there's a wide receiver from Nebraska whose name is Decoldest Crawford. Decoldest? Yes. Crawford. D E Coldest. And he <laughs> signed an awesome. NIL deal with an HVAC company, a local uh, heating and air conditioning. They got a air, they got a guy named Decoldest sponsor er, sponsored by a air brilliant. conditioning company. And I'm like that's genius. That's brilliant. Decold he's the coldest. And if you want the coldest air, you come to our HVAC right. company. Likewise, Alabama brilliant. has a defensive back um Jaquincy Kool-Aid McKinstry. He goes by Kool-Aid. Right. And guess what? He signed an NIL deal with Kool-Aid. Brilliant. Because <laughs> he should, right? He should. Um, yes. That's awesome. The the biggest NIL deal to date that I'm aware of, in, or at least one of them, is there's a four-star prospect in a Miami commit. He's a quarterback. Um, getting, this is a prospect. This is a high school student. Just recently signed a $9.5 million deal with – a hurricane booster. Wow. Before graduating high school, this wow. kid almost got an eight figure deal. Wow. How? Like what, what just is he that good? What, I mean he's a four star, not even a five star. He's not even a five star. Holy cow. Um I think Tennessee has a quarterback commit for next wow. year as well that got like eight. So I mean, some of these are dropping like crazy now. Insane. Um which, by the way, we're open for a name, image, and likeness. If you like to theology in the dirt, just to to kind of be on your thing, we're the coldest and we're the Kool Aid. Yes, like whatever you need, we'll be happy to to do what whatever you need for that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, a couple of other real quick ones here. Um, so the entire Texas Tech football team will get a base salary of twenty five thousand dollars a year to thanks to a group of alumni that pulled together. So their entire team, right? Likewise. All 95 players on UGA's roster has some sort of NIL deal, um, which is pretty cool. But they also – Georgia football has been lauded by because of their um, – they put all their student-athletes through money management courses and training sessions and really helping them learn um, how to handle that. But they're not giving out these big deals. So the fact that Kirby's smart still able to recruit at a high level without – dropping down these millions of dollars is pretty impressive. So it, here's a question. Does that mean are they preventing kids from getting individual large deals or is that in addition to everybody getting a, a piece of – I think it's Classic City Collective. Is that right? Yeah. So everybody's getting a chunk. Right, and they're not all equal. I think Brock Bowers, I think, is the highest. He's like 220000 or 240000 something like that. I think okay. his is Zach Spies and a couple others. And there's uh, some guys that they have a there's a couple of guys got crystal deals like I saw that that crystal yeah. they're they're got some crystal crystal chicks man yeah which those looked really good by the way so speaking of that Hooters has signed 51 offensive linemen over 10 schools Georgia Tech has the most with seven to a deal and I'm just like you know what big dudes got to eat man <laughs> and they like their wings so that right. so these are pretty smart and the last one I have this was just I thought was interesting so the Atlanta Braves. Right. Baseball team, professional baseball team, has signed Georgia gymnast Rachel Ballman and Georgia Tech quarterback Jordan Yates to NIL deals. Really? Basically, they just got to wear Braves gear. And I'm like, Alex, wow. I thought was call me up. 
I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that anyway. Yes, absolutely. So um, you got even wow. so that it's becoming a much bigger thing. My fear is it's about to get kind of ugly, and they're going to have to regulate it because they're not really much regulation over it. Right. And at some point, you're going to have issues where you know nine and a half million dollar dude making that, and then you got dude making nothing. Right. I saw one kid had sign. He had like seventy. NIL does or something like that. He had like wow. just, and I'm like, hey, be yeah. I mean, these kids are learning to market themselves, and I don't really have a problem with the process overall, like the thought process. I think it just needs to be riled in because these universities, many of them don't know how to handle this and what right. to do with it. Right. Because um, the kids, it's not like they just get the money all up front. That's not how that, for the most part, it works. And so, mm. you know, I'm afraid these kids are going to be, you're going to get some kids staying in college because they can make more there than they can make in the NFL. Which might not be a bad thing. Go ahead and get that right. degree. If they, well, I mean, I, I would imagine part of the the deal, perhaps with the sponsor, is you need to be in class. Part of, I, I would assume that there's a lot of those yeah. things, kickers or whatever you want to call them. Um, but right, I think though too, you're going to also run into, um, you know, just some issues down the road where um, with, the rich are going to get richer. So your, you know, your big teams are going to. Yeah. benefit from this more than their smaller teams right they're either gonna have to get really creative or hope that they've got some really rich alumni right you know who can help with that right well you're yeah you're secs and you're the kings of the sec particularly i, I don't imagine vanderbilt you know getting maybe they get a long john silver's deal <laughs> anchors anchors down that's or not, something like that that's good hey. there's a, a female gymnast out of lsu who had I want to say she was on the U.S. team or something like that, but she has like she's got so many Instagram followers and stuff that she got I think a couple million as a gymnast. Wow. As a, and and I mean, let's be honest. Typically, you know, female athletes are not making as much money. Clearly, right. And so for her to get this kind of deal is pretty impressive. But a lot of that has to do with her followers. So she, you know, she posts something for that company. I don't know what I didn't look that one up, but I just remember seeing that one. Like if she posts that up. I mean, you got hundreds of thousands of people. I think she's got over a million followers probably on Instagram and TikTok and some of those places. So right. it makes sense to invest that because they're going to get certainly that publicity. That's good stuff, man. So. Um, well, I'm going to take my news. I'm going to I'm going to depress it for a moment because I appreciate the good the the good nil. Change that's funny. And, and by the way, the coldest. That's the best name ever. Yeah. That has downloaded to my brain. He's the coldest. Yeah, your air is the coldest. So come to our HVAC. That's and he's a wide brilliant. receiver, so you know he's like breaking ankles, and people are like, "Oh, that was the coldest move." You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was the coldest ever, and it was really the coldest. <laughs> he froze that defensive back. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's awesome. Um, just a quick news hit. I, I I was checking a headline this morning, and and the headline is U.S. pressures drive Russia, China, and Iran closer together. So a little international news. The article is a really short article, but it's it's dealing with um, the United States' involvement in Ukraine uh, driving Russia, China, and Iran uh, closer in their ties because they're kind of the axis of currently global evil um, and the United States' pressure uh, in its uh, supplying Ukraine uh, has driven Russia, China, and Iran closer together, particularly with Iran enriching, possibly enriching their uranium. And so mm-hmm. what I find interesting is there it's a catch-22. If you do nothing, um, you allow Soviet aggression to to push into areas that, that uh, quite 
frankly, I mean, you, you can't blame the United States for seeking to curb Soviet aggression. Uh, I was fascinated to listen to a podcast uh, recently uh, called The Cold War, What We Saw. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fascinating. I learned things in that podcast. It's a great history podcast. I, I learned things in there. I had no clue. And so the need to combat um, for a nation, combat Soviet aggression is real. Yeah, um, that's That's not made up. Uh, but at the same time, the flip side of that coin is you drive other nations with a similar bent to the Soviets closer together. And so Iran can supply the Soviets with oil. China, I think, has uh, done a good job of not stepping over some lines. But at the same time, boy, they certainly are not failing to help the Soviets, too. So it creates an interesting global dilemma. Um, so if you do something, you drive enemies to be friends, uh, our enemies to be closer friends. If you do nothing, then you got aggression. So you're kind of stuck. Yeah. I don't envy the person who has to make those decisions. No. And and at worst, if you do something and it's the wrong thing or it, or it, the perception is it's the wrong thing. Right. It's hard to recover from that. It is. I I tell you what, man, it would be worth everybody's time to go spend some time on the Cold War, what we saw, and the decisions presidents had to make in the United States. And and because we don't have, because we have at maximum a two-term president, these decisions have to get passed on and the consequences to subsequent mm-hmm. presidents. And, boy, you're talking about having to get it right. And it's intense. Uh, you think about the how, how Kennedy to... Johnson uh, and on up the chain had to deal with that. And finally with Reagan, um, there's some fascinating things that happen. And so I don't envy that. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's Brian Regan who talked about what an awful job it is to be president. <laughs> he said, you wake up and all you hear is trouble, troubles, troubles await you, Mr. President. <laughs> and so this is one of those troubles, troubles, yeah. Mr. President. And I I mean, I don't envy Biden. I don't envy anybody who steps into that role because it is truly a, a difficult. It's a, I mean, I'm sure there are wins, but boy, they're backed with a lot of losses too. Well, imagine having to try to go to sleep at night with the things that they know that we never know. You know, I mean, like all the stuff they hear from CIA. So, you know, there's probably some crazy things that happen that we ha- will never ever hear about. Right. That they've got to go to bed with at night and wonder. Or you know, is there a nuclear war going to start tomorrow? Right. Is did that decision I just make going to cost lives? And you know, I, I, we can. I don't want to get on anything political, really, but because you know, does that really does that really matter? Whoever's in that role, they're going to get some right, and they're probably going to get some wrong. And you're defined by that, it, and and you're not even defined. Like I mean, whatever your feelings are on George W. Bush, he's always going to be connected, you know, to nine eleven and to right. to that war, and regardless of what side you're on, like, I mean, that's just what you're remembered for. And so that's right. You know, sometimes there's not even like a decision to make. It's like, I have to make this decision whether I want to or not. And that's right. That's, then we just have to live with whatever happens. So that's yeah, I don't, right. I don't envy that at all. And it's not like they're getting paid millions of dollars either to do it. Right. These, these, uh, and you look at what a president looks like when they become president. And then when they exit the office, they aged a lot. Yeah. And, and I don't, I really don't envy, envy that. Nope. Well, that's enough for the news, and it's probably time for, um... oh, there he is, big voice. 
gentlemen, <laughs> may I have your attention, please? It's time said, please. for the final <laughs> countdown. Fine. The show starts in ten. Wow, thank you, Big Voice. I kind of wish Big Voice would start at five, but he's insistent on starting at ten. He is. But that kind of that's, that I like the build up though. I think that's affecting my emotional health. <laughs> listening to him, <laughs> is it growing your maturity? Just, all or I keep thinking is, "You shall not pass." <laughs> yes. Picturing that monster that Gandalf yes. wrestles with. Yes, that's awesome. We we need one of those as a stinger. That'd be cool. You shall not pass. That would be awesome. Well, we are, we are, it is time for the main event and we are talking about spiritually healthy discipleship. And, uh, and, and last week we talked about spiritual immaturity and, and today we want to, want to dive into, um, how we can actually, um, tolerate or how we are, how we grow spiritual immaturity or emotional immaturity by tolerating it. So we, we can, we want to grow to maturity, but we can't grow to maturity if we tolerate emotional immaturity. And so we're going to unpack some things today um, in regard to tolerating emotional immaturity and, and ways we can combat that. Um, and so uh, if you haven't been following along and this is your first podcast, step back a couple where we start talking about emotionally healthy discipleship because that's the aim is how do we grow in our maturity in Christ and at the same time grow in our emotional maturity and I think you said it last week Chris and I'm going to let you I want you to dive in you got some good stuff um, and then I'll comment and, and share some of my things but you said last week that we can't be spiritually mature and emotionally immature at the same time Mm -hmm. those two go hand in hand. So our emotional maturity is tied, our spiritual maturity is tied to our emotional maturity. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, kind of an intro point here, uh, emotionally immature people are mostly unable to deal with reality and they tend to alter their perceptions of reality to fit their own needs. And so our, you know, our, all of this, all of the parts of us live in reality. And so if we're void of that, if we're not clear on that, it just affects everything we do. And I think too often we see emotional people or emotional responses as unspiritual mm-hmm. or opposite of normal and okay. Um, and we tend to kind of look down upon people who are emotional, especially in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's it. And we've talked about mental health and how that affects. I think the same thing with emotional health. I think we tend to be like, oh, that person's emotional, right? We kind of we make fun of that person who's crying during worship. We may not do it outwardly, but we, you know, people process that. Right. Or we judge people who get angry or upset when they're hurt or when they're confused. Mm. Um, we look at people who are anxious, worried, sad, depressed as people who they must not be walking with God. Mm. They must not be trusting in the Lord. <laughs> How can you trust the Lord and 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 be frustrated or angry? Right? Yeah, but emotions make us real, right? And we were created in His image, right? Genesis one. We were made in his image, and so if we're made in his image, he's an emotional being. And, and we see Jesus as full of emotion. I mean, we, we see that often he gets angry, 
Right. He doesn't sin in that anger, but he's angry. That's right. Um, I think you talked about that on Sunday some. It's you know, anger is not a sin, but it, when we allow our emotions to control us, then often we act in sin because of that. But the actual emotion of anger, right, is healthy. Yeah. I mean, I've had some angry conversations with the Lord. You know, we've dealt with a lot the last few years, and um, you know, there's I've had some conversations with him. I'm like, I'm just. But I feel like we're called to do that. Yeah. I feel like it's okay to do that. Yeah. I'm not, you know, cussing at him and, and I'm not sinning in that, but I'm just like, look, Lord, I don't understand this and I'm not happy about how these things are happening. Sure. And I don't understand why they're happening. Right. I don't understand why you're not right. getting us out of this, you know. Well, secure enough in your relationship with God to, he already knows what's in our heart to be able to say it to him in yeah. his respectful way, you know, being careful. But God, I don't understand and I am angry. Um, I don't think I I don't think I'm angry at you, but I'm angry at the situation, and I'm not happy. Yeah, <laughs> and I need your help. Yeah, because I yeah, and yeah, that, that's huge. That's huge. And I think uh, I like Wayne Grudem a lot. It's just my theology is very helpful. I used it in teaching uh, students at a lower level. Um, systematic theology, but one of the things I hate that I think has affected a lot of younger generations who, who read Grudem is, is his section on the impassibility of God, where he talks about God being emotionless and passionless, um, which it's not an aberrant thought um, because there's debate inside theological circles about God's emotion, but the predominant orthodox view is God is not passionless. God is full of passion. He's full of emotion. Mm-hmm. God birthed out of Adam. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And that's a song. And it's produced out of a joy and a delight. God is frustrated. God gets angry. God loves. God is passionately. He's, his emotions are warmed for his children. Yeah. And the idea that God doesn't feel is just, it's ridiculous. But that he does and that we are made in that image and can and should should be at the root of, of how we view ourselves and how we view other people is that we are emotional creatures and we should be able to healthily express emotional maturity. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't in the Bible, so this is just kind of Chris's take here. Right. Um, but I'm convinced part of the reason that when Jesus is crucified and dies, there's a three-day there's a three day period there because he could have just rose right, right away, right, or the next day. But part of me believes that was a grieving process for the Lord. Like that was, that was a time of, of he was sad. Like he was, that was, I mean, he wasn't surprised by it. Obviously he's, but, I, but I mean, this is his son and he sent for that reason. And I, I think just in my personal opinion, there was some grieving there. There was some sadness there. Uh, there was some righteous, uh, you know, just dealing with stuff, uh, sure. not the way we do it. So I, I know that's sure. different, but yeah. you know, perhaps during that time of, of silence and that time of him having to look away, you know, he was, that was an emotional response. God, the father feeling a sense of grief. Yeah. I, I have no doubt that there is a sense in which the father is grieved over his executing his son for my mm-hmm. sin. Right. Absolutely. That, that, that's interesting so. insight. That's good. So, so you had talked about, and we're looking at, just to, to be clear, you guys, we really want you to go check out Pete Scazzaro's book, mm-hmm. Spiritually Healthy Discipleship. And uh, and so we're we're taking some of our cues from stuff Pete writes, and we're not going to tell you his whole content once you read the book, because that's unfair to Pete. Go read the book. But but it's been such a helpful book for me that I, I don't want to skip over some things. Yeah. And you mentioned some stuff in uh, a previous section um, 
I want to talk about in a few moments about elevating the spiritual over and and distrusting the emotional is one of the ways we tolerate immaturity mm-hmm. and having to get past that. But you had some stuff from a previous section that I think is important. Yeah, I think, um, you know, first off, I think there's a big disconnect between spiritual, our spiritual selves and our emotional selves often. Um, and I kind of hit on that a while ago, but they're, but they're both equal parts. You know, right. Skizera talks about there's, you know, we're spiritual, emotional, physical, social, and intellectual. Those right. are equal parts. Now, sometimes those parts take on more than others, but they're all parts of who we are, and emotions are a big part of who we are and how we were created. Um, but one of the things Cassara says that I wanted to unpack and briefly before we get into that next section is, you know, he says we no longer measure our love for God by the degree in which we love others. And, and I, I agree with that. I see that, um, you know, we kind of elevate that above um, our love for other people, even though, and I'm going to run through a few scriptures here real quick because we are theology in the dirt, and <laughs> so I feel like that, it's okay to do that. That is completely um, acceptable. And I think all these apply here. So let me run through these. Matthew five forty four: Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Mm. Um, not just <laughs> not just love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. John thirteen thirty four: A new command I give you: Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So because he has loved us, we are to love others. They're always tied together. And I feel like Jesus hits on this a lot. Um, but we love other people because he has loved us. And right. that we're to mimic that and, and replicate that. First uh, John 4, 6 through 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. So you can't have an intellectual, spiritual connection with the Lord without love, without emotion. Right. They, don't, they can't they can't exist separately. Right. Because uh, he is love. First mm. uh, Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> not, not you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples if you connect with me intellectually and are cold to other people. Mm. Dang. Well, this is how people will know. Right. Um, and I, to be honest, I feel like we miss that a lot as Christians as a whole, as the church. Right. We tend to be cold, frigid. We tend to, like I said, we kind of push that emotion stuff away. Right. We don't want to deal with that person that's having an emotional breakdown. They, that must be not spiritual. They must be dealing with a demon. They must be having something going on there. Right. They don't love no Jesus, you yeah. know. Right. It, the, the potentially a lack of love might be dismissing what's happening in them emotionally um, for a more intellectual, perhaps, uh, explanation. Right. And and love is a warmth, partly a warmth, uh, an empathy for that is birthed out of a desire for their good. Yeah. And so I'm in it for you and care about you. And because of that, I want to see that the best is for you and done for you. Yeah. And and therefore, that might be expanding my understanding of what's happening in you. Yeah. The, the great theologians, uh, DC Talk, said it best. <laughs> love is a verb. And so but, and it's an action. But but you can't express love right. without having a understanding your emotional self without being in reality with your own emotions like that. that you can't act on it without it and i can't love appropriately if i can't connect down into the root of my emotional capacities yeah because love again is 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 a love defined god is love Mm -hmm. so god in his very being is love 
the Bible says that explicitly. So yeah. if I'm going to love, I have to tap into being created in the image of God, which we are, and that is the capacity to to love and and to work for the good of others, mm-hmm. even if it's painful for them, working for their good by empathy, recognizing that what's going off in them is possibly deeper than something uh, me stating a truth to them is going to fix. Yeah, you can't have empathy without a, a deep understanding of caring for people and, and the purpose of that, the importance of that. Empathy, right. not everybody has empathy. Some people it's easier than others, but I think everyone has the capacity for that, but without being connected to the emotions that make us real people, we can't do that. We can't show that. Right, right. Um, That's good. The last one real quick is First John four sixteen, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We love because he first loved us. That's verse 19. So first John 4, 16 and 19. But in the 16, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I mean, that's that's big. Mm. I think we can't look past that. That's We've got to realize that you can't live in God without loving others and without understanding that. So. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And so by not doing that, we are tolerating emotional immaturity, yeah. which then will never translate into spiritual maturity. Um, one of the, one of the things that Proverbs says, it's one of my, my, um, helpful go-to Proverbs, uh, when it comes to emotions, um, and growing in emotional maturity is Proverbs 20, 27. It says the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all his innermost parts. And so, um, my being is God's lamp into me. And in that, he searches all of my innermost parts. That's comforting in that God is at work in searching out all of my being. And if God is searching out all of my being, and the lamp of the Lord is my very being that he created, so because I'm made in his image and because he put breathed into us the breath of life, and that mechanism is the means by which he searches us out, then we need to engage in that in order to search out all of our being. And I think one of the devastating things that has happened is a elevation of spiritual divorced from the emotional. Mm -hmm. And often what that looks like is the cold application of true things to stamp out any type of emotional expression or to try to put to rest an emotional um, uh, churning. Um, and and that those things are distrusted. And, and what I've found, what I'm finding is that even all through the Bible, what I'm finding in my own self is that I should not distrust the emotional there is a reason that emotion is happening. Now, that reason might be untrue, mm-hmm. but I have to pay attention to that emotion. Yeah. But in order to get to the spiritual, I can't ignore the emotional. I think the most important piece of this to finding emotional maturity and health is awareness, um, emotional awareness. 
just because someone exhibits some emotion, it doesn't mean they have enough emotional awareness and maturity to identify those emotions and use them properly. Um, and I think this happens a lot with leaders, with Christian leaders, with pastors. Uh, we And we tolerate it simply because they are leaders and because they are pastors. I think that's a big component here is we just tolerate it because they're the ones we look up to. Um, but I, I, I love this thought process here of separating because I think, so here's one just quick example that I see often is someone sharing with a pastor or with a spiritual friend or a you know, brother or sister in Christ. And they're just like pouring out their heart, right. Pouring out their emotions. And somebody says, well, just pray about it. Yeah. I'm like, yes, but that's not, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. Okay. It, it, it's it, you're, you're glossing over my emotions with a spiritual response that if I could connect to that spiritual response in the moment, I wouldn't be sharing that. Right. It's kind of like when someone is dealing with, um, you know, I've been, I'm going through this like health journey, trying to lose weight and get my health back. And it's like someone who is at their worst with um, eating and, and unhealthy. And you just go, Hey man, just, just eat better. Go work out. Like, <laughs> well, you're not connecting the issue. You're not connecting with the problem here. It's not as simple as, Oh man. So if I just eat healthier, I'll be, I'll lose the, you know, like, <laughs> Right. So it's it's almost a um it's almost a sarcastic response, even if it's not intended to be, right. because someone who's rooted deeply in that emotional state, they can't connect with that right. spiritual guidance when if that's all it is. You've got to combine all that together. Yeah. Okay, here's a because here, what you just described is something I know you're aware of. This is called the Kinefin framework. Mm-hmm. And it's this uh this this framework of complex to simple. And there are complex challenges and there are simple challenges and solutions can be complex or simple. And so that what you just described is taking a complex challenge and putting a simple solution on top of it, which never works. It actually makes it worse. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about the emotions of a person, we're talking about the deep wiring of God likeness in their being. And to put a simple solution on something that's that profound and complex actually hurts. It doesn't help. And so one of the things I think that over that that trying to um, play the spiritual game and ignore the emotional game does is it ignores the complexity of humans. And I think it's easy for us to just not want to think. Yeah. Because thinking is hard. Thinking takes time. It's easier to be Beavis and Butthead than it is to actually apply some some thought to who we are. And that is deep and complicated and, and not super simple. The, the idea that we're physical and yet spiritual, and that spiritual involves emotional, and those are intimately woven together. And the fact that we have a brain that's a supercomputer that we actually can manipulate and control to affect our body is not a simple pray about it. Yeah, It's a, you know, it, it, the Bible says it is, um, it is God's glory to conceal a matter. And the glory of man to find it out. That's yeah. in the Proverbs, meaning there is glory. It is it is glorious for man to seek out this complexity and figure it out. And the fact that we are deep emotional creatures made in the image of God who expresses emotion is spiritual. And those things are super complex. I'm going to read, read something here that Scazzaro says. Um, he says, and, and, and he's kind of trying to get at the heart of how, how did we do this? Where did we get to the place that we separated our spiritual and emotional. And he says, this priori- the prioritizing of the spiritual can be traced back to the influence of Greek philosopher named Plato. 
who lived several centuries before Christ. His influence on a variety of leaders in church history continues to impact us today. His message, which later became part of the thinking of those in the early church, was essentially, the body is bad, the spirit is good. In other words, any aspect of our humanity that is not spiritual is suspect at best, including emotions. In fact, to be emotional is, if not sinful, at least less than spiritual. Mm. That is platonic. He was a pagan. Yeah. And how many times have I heard that and, frankly, at times maybe been guilty of thinking that? And it is just untrue. And we have to root that out because the body's not bad. The body is created good. Yeah, Sin has infected its breaking, but Jesus is repairing it. And part of that repair is getting down into the complicated nature of who we are and wrestling through it. I think one of the most prime examples of where this really plays out, at least in my life. So let me, let me internalize that to myself, not to everyone else, but is in my marriage, right? My wife listened to this. She's probably gonna be like either worried or like, Oh good. He finally realized this um, <laughs> by, cause by nature, most men, not all men, most men tend to be more logically driven than emotional. And women tend to be the opposite that this isn't a women bashing session. That's just fact. We could have a podcast. Uh, we could, do we that. could. We could bring our wives in here, and and <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea and a great <laughs> idea at the same time. But so you know, my wife, you know, who's a woman and deals with, uh, you know, she has those things, and she's got to process things, and sometimes she's just laying out how she feels and going it. And I do. I'm so guilty of this of like of just giving a simple answer, and it, which is. It's not even like she's not looking for a solution. I'm a fix it person, so this is where we struggle sometimes. I want to fix it. I want to be like, um, you know, just do this. You know, <laughs> and that's not that's what Jennifer helpful. says. You're putting on your hard hat. Yeah, meaning it's not time to go to work. So here's some homework for our listeners. If you got a few minutes today, go to YouTube and type in "It's not about the nail," and a video will come up. Have you seen this one? Oh, a video will gosh, come up yes. where. Um, this is husband and wife is a spoof kind of thing, but it's so true where this woman has literally has a nail in her forehead and she's like, honey, I'm just, I have this headache and I'm just dealing with all this like pressure and stress. And the husband the whole time is like, just take the nail out. Like we just pop it out. You'll be fine. Like it, it'll keep it, snagging the my sweaters. And, and it's, <laughs> and um, you know, it, it's funny and it's hilarious, but I'm like, man, this is so true because this is exactly, and it's exactly what we're talking about here. Right. It's that husband's inability to recognize that, your wife just wants to be heard and wants to be comforted and wants to feel valued in this moment. She's not looking for you to, to fix it because that's not really the issue here. And so, and I feel like that's, that happens in our homes and it happens in our marriage. And it's like, I'm like, cause I'm just a logical being. I'm like, do a, and then B will happen. Whereas she's like, but I'm dealing with C. (laughs) You've completely missed the point and I'm guilty of this. And I have, right. You know, or worse, I, um, instead of responding with better empathy, I just, I come across to her as not concerned or not taking it seriously enough. And that's even more damaging. And so that's an, that's an emotionally immature response on my part because I'm not able to try to go where she is to deal with that issue. That's right. I'm either giving an, an intellectual or a spiritual response as opposed to really connecting with her on that emotional level where she's at to be able to provide and as a spiritual leader in my home, that's what I need to be doing for me to be the most spiritual in that moment is to connect with the emotional. Yeah. And if I don't, then I've met, completely missed that and I've done her a disservice. That's huge. That, that's massive. And, and to connect to the emotional means we, there are a lot of factors 
right? And so there's a lot for us to consider, which which requires us to grow, grow as humans, grow intellectually. We're talking about the five components that, you know, Skazira talks about the five components of the human being. There's the emotional, but the emotional is affected by the social. The social is affected by the intellectual, the physical, and the spiritual. Those all, those all are components. And if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to grow emotionally. And that's going to affect our physical state. That's going to affect our intellectual state. Our intellectual state is going to fuel our ability to think yes. about our souls and how our emotions affect our spirituality. But that's going to require some reading and some study and asking some questions, digging into things, because we are complicated beings, and complicated beings don't work on simple solutions. And so, and, and I just want to state this, because it is theology in the dirt, I don't think, um, I think we would be remiss if we didn't say, this is actually in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The, this stuff is there. Um, Philippians 4.8 is one of the great hidden gems that tells us whatever is lovely, pure, excellent, worthy of praise. Think on these things. Yeah, There are commands in the Bible to think, to use our minds, to put into effect in our bodies right things. And it is a discipline. Because when you start trying to do that, there will be a hundred thoughts enter your mind that will try to distract you from the good. Yeah. And 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 so we're talking about work that the Bible gives us to do. So we're we're not asking people to go become psychologists divorced from their Bibles. We're talking about start with the manual, the scriptures. This stuff is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's there. We just have a tendency to overlook it because we have a tendency to go to the Bible to try to prove points as opposed to actually let the Bible tell us who God is, who we are, and what God wants to do for us in Christ. So it's mm-hmm. actually there. And and so I just want to remind people, go to the text. This stuff is there. Yeah, and how many times in the scriptures does Jesus call out the most spiritual people, the Pharisees, right? I mean, because these are people who were only dealing with the spiritual and probably intellectual because they were probably more educated, um, tended to be dealing with things at that level. And <laughs> Jesus is very, very, very adamant about these people not – not following them and, and that they may not even see the kingdom of God. Mm, that's huge. So Chris, what are some things? Cause we, we have to really start uh, wrapping up. We're yeah. going to get really long here. <laughs> what are some, go. what are some things that you have to help us start moving toward wrapping up? So I kind of just want to focus on like real quick on like, I mentioned this a while ago, Christian leaders, pastors. Um, I don't want to call out pastors, but just anyone who's kind of in leadership oftentimes tend to be emotionally numb. Um, or they present a false front of emotion oftentimes. And um, one example real quick is, so I had a leader in my, in my lifetime one time back when I was college, and I was you know leading worship, not at our church, but through some other um, programs and stuff. And like he came to me and, and was like, hey, I really want to help you as a worship leader. And he started, he's like, one of the most important things is don't show emotion. He's like, you got to just be very, um, very plain, very calm, very not distracting and um man that just always bothered me i was like for number one i i can't do that like it just i feel like when we're worshiping when we're singing and we're, music moves us anyway music is an emotional connection and when i lead worship stuff and then we had this conversation and i was just like if i feel like I, if i do that number one i'm being disingenuous and i'm not being authentic and people will see that and they're not going to want to you know there's there's Yes, need not to be as distracting in ways, 
but I feel like you can't be emotionless either. Like just as as a leader, like people aren't going to want to follow that. But what if people are feeling correctly? I mean, there's no such thing in being in God's presence and being emotionless. Every time we read in the Bible that people in, engage with God personally, they are moved. They either fall down on their face, they weep, they all manner of things happen. So right. if if you're being emotionless, what about that person who is moved? Then they maybe feel as though they're the outcast and maybe they shut down an expression that is glorifying to God in that moment. Yeah, that's that's key. Um, I, one of the things in the book that Cazero um, gets to, he quotes this section out of a book called The Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and um, Trimper Longman III. That's a fun name, Trimper. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, I just want to read this excerpt because I think this is really crucial. He says, uh, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives a, the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. And in neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves, uh, and we have a wonderful opportunity to know God. Mm. And I just, I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. Right. Um, but we just, we can't turn our back on our emotions. We can't ignore them. Um, and when we do that, we're not in reality. And like he says, if we're not in reality, we're not walking with the Lord. Mm, man, that's solid. That's so good. Um, it, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality, and God dwells in reality. Can't do that, right? No, you can't. Can't do that. So, so what do you say to somebody who is, um, particularly probably guys? Chances are, it's mostly guys who will hear this and and not even know what to do with that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is to realize expression of emotion is different for everybody. Right. It, you don't have to express it like someone else. You don't have to cry at Lifetime movies or, or Hallmark movies and commercials. Right. You know, you you can cry at Rudy. That's why, you know, or some right. of these sports movies. But, like, so you don't have to have this big outwardly expression of emotion to be connected to your emotions. So right. Number one is self-awareness of when you are feeling emotional, learning how to express that appropriately in the setting you're in and not feeling less of a man. Because to me, a real man is someone who is able to connect with his emotions and use them appropriately right. at the right time in the right situation to impact other people. Yeah, and it, it, That whole idea of manhood being emotionless and cold is satanic yeah. it is so divorced from how god wired man right out of pages of genesis one and two and, and the idea that man can't be an expressor of his emotions and be manly is is flat out satanic and i think it's actually hampered our emotional growth because what we've done is sold the cold emotionless killer as the prototype of what a man is and 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 those who are probably or well i would say not probably are healthier than that don't feel manly and and we haven't made a place for them and and maybe some of us fools are the ones that drying up on the vine and dying because we don't yeah. have a a sense of what it is to appropriately express what it is to be created in the image of God by how we express our emotions and the same is true for women like their women are taught to suppress their emotions like don't be emotional don't respond emotionally and I think that's just as toxic as a, a lesson as it is the one we're talking about for men like 
there's an appropriate level of expression of emotion, you need to find out what that is and yeah. you need to learn. That's how you become emotionally yeah. mature. And I think when people do that, they are misdefining emotional. I agree. Saying, don't, don't express or don't respond emotionally. And what they, what they mean is don't respond poorly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the insinuation is that any emotion is responding poorly. And that's, that's not what emotional means. And mm-hmm. so even to use it that way is misusing the word. Now you, it's impossible to not respond emotionally. It's respond healthily and in a healthy expression of the proper emotion. Yeah. That's a lot more complicated than just don't be emotional. Like, yeah. Yeah. Another piece of advice I would give too is set good boundaries. Don't build walls. Walls disconnect us. Walls um, don't allow us to connect with people genuinely, but you have to set good boundaries because serious Emotionally immature people will use their emotions as weapons and shields. They mm. will block your attempts to help them because they'll put up that shield as their emotions as a shield, and they will also use it as daggers. Uh, I won't give examples of that, but you know what I'm talking about in yeah. my um, yeah. family and how that and and you know how that's happened. And I know you've experienced that as well. Right. When people are spiritually or emotionally immature, they will use that as weapons, and they will tie that spirituality into it. Yeah. Yeah. All you got to do is tie a Bible verse to that. Yeah. And then and then it's the trump card God said. Like you lay down that ace, and that ace in the hole is God told me. Yeah. You know, as soon as you say God told me, there's no response other than agreement. If you disagree, then you're disagreeing with God, which is why you should never say God told me, right? It should right. But you, you attach a Bible verse to that, that dagger, that immature dagger, and and then you feel guilty and then and and here's what that does that causes that person now to constantly doubt before God God's acceptance of them and you greater empowered the person who's the immature one doing it yeah and now this the person that was the recipient of that feels like this emotionally immature one and that's just going to make right. things worse for both people well, which is why the difference between a boundary and a wall right cuz the boundary you can open the gate and you can let right things in but then you close the door and go no and and that's knowing the difference between a boundary and a and a hard wall. Right. Empathy is not becoming that person or being where they are all the time. Like right. I can't I can't I'm not showing someone empathy by immaturing my own self to to meet them where they are. Um, that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to pull people to that level. So that's you right. have to have healthy boundaries. You've got to have, and that's why I go back to the most important aspect is awareness, self awareness of your own emotions but also awareness of other people's and, mm. and when to have that conversation and when to say you know what we need to table this for right now man that's solid all right chris give us a last word and then i'll i have one last word and then and then we'll wrap up because we're gonna run out of time quickly um man that was kind of my last word there i think again just reminding people um, emotional health is a positive state of well-being, which enables an individual to be able to function in society and meet the demands of everyday life. And people who are not emotionally healthy are not able to do that. So going back to that reality portion of live in reality, have awareness. Remember those five components of life need to live in congruence with one another. Yeah. Um, there are going to be moments where one stands out and that's okay. And that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But try to live, try to respond, try to connect with people using all of those. And 
be cautious because it's very easy to elevate that spiritual over the emotional. And when you do that, you're not being spiritual. You're not being spiritual, right? Here's my last word, and and that is, uh, if this sounds like we're talking a foreign language, I just want to tell you that when I first started hearing people talk about this stuff, I felt like the most ignorant um, person on the face of the planet because I could not intellectually connect the words that were spoken in English down into any type of reality in my experience. And it took some time growing emotionally to begin to understand that was what was being spoken. Um, and, and, and I don't even know how to say it other than that. There are probably some people who are listening to this going, what you're saying makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it's not because it's nonsensical, it's because it's new. And so if that's you, keep diving in, pick up Pete's book, um, pick up Dr. Caroline Leaf and start reading about some of those things. Google and maybe go to YouTube and watch Dr. Karen Purvis talk about trust-based relational intervention and talk about the nature of the brain science on how God wired the brain to work and how it affects the rest of the body. And what you'll begin to do is discover this complicated, glorious thing called the human being created in the image of God. And you will start to discover your emotional capacity and then your spiritual capacity will grow. And then the last thing would be um, this world seems to be dominated predominantly by women who are teaching it and are expressing it healthily. So when I first started listening and I even named everybody, I just named they were women very few men are in this world. There are a few. And so find them. Scazzaro is a great place to start. And so if you're a dude listening to this, uh, strangely enough, I think looking at our stuff, more women are listening to this than men, which is weird. <laughs> or maybe you and I need to up our game. Maybe we need to go back to the sports hot take <laughs> to get some guys listening. Next week, Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> the slaughtering of your enemies. Yeah. But we, but But I would say if you're a guy – Dive into this, man, because this is how we become more what it is to be a godly man, is being emotionally healthy, which leads to spiritual health, which will make our homes, our Edens, better. And that's how we will practice our theology in the public square of our homes and then our cities and our world. Practice this. This is how you get better. Practice it with someone that's safe and healthy. Yep. Practice emotional maturity. Absolutely. Hey, guys, we are absolutely grateful for you listening to us, and uh, we appreciate you going on the ride with us. If you would, uh, drop us a rating in the podcast that you happen to listen to, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Anchor, whatever you're using. Go in there and drop us a rating. Give us a comment. We'd appreciate it. If you want a topic, discuss. Send it to us, theologynerd at gmail.com. You guys have an absolutely fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time. Out. What's impossible will they forget? This world keeps spinning in with each new day. I can feel a change in everything. And as the surface breaks, reflections fade. But in some ways they remain the same. And as my mind begins to spread its wings. There's no stopping curiosity I wanna turn the whole thing upside down I'll find the things they say just